It's marooned at the movies with Matt and Hillary. <laughs> what? Wow! Wait oh my a God. second. Where you normally did, you yes. did not prepare me for this, <laughs> Hillary. I would like to spring surprises on you right at the beginning of the show. You know this. It's one of the features of our openings. And this is not Marooned on Mars. It's Marooned at the Movies with Matt and Hillary, the podcast where we don't talk about Kim Stanley Robinson novels. Instead, we're going to talk about a movie. A movie. Uh, Very exciting. Yeah, I love love it. I love it. Um, An alternate title for a very special episode of our podcast. Yes. Um, we were thinking about doing, we love, we, okay. So this is, a, we're doing this, uh, as anyone who can read the title of the podcast mm-hmm. knows, this is uh, about, um, <laughs> Born in Flames, the Lizzie Borden film from 1983, which has, um, gotten in the last maybe five years, a lot more renewed, mm-hmm. um, attention, um, yes. uh, much deserved, um, and, uh, much deserved, much forgotten, I think, neglected film over the uh, past several decades. Um, but we had pl- planning on doing a couple of episodes on like science fiction movies as we await the release of the Ministry, Ministry for the Future, um, uh, Stan Robinson's out, uh, upcoming uh, novel. Um, and Born in Flames is the first one. We may hopefully maybe do one or two more in the interim. Um mm. Uh, depending on our schedule, yeah. uh, and yeah. and of course, depending on the reception of this uh, experimental episode, uh, highly experimental. <laughs> what would it be a like? Highly to experimental re- episode. What would it be like to record a conversation between me and Hillary about movies instead of you and I just uh, having a heated conversation about them as we walk back from a uh, from whatever the latest uh, science fiction movie that we watched in a theater in Chicago would be. What would would it be like to record it? I know, exactly, exactly. Imagine how, um, what powerful podcasters we would be if we had recorded all of those conversations that we have had and could just, you know, we could have had a podcast years ago and be like very famous, famous, right? Famous. Well, we... We did. We did have a podcast years ago, and it was called Marooned on Mars with Matt and Hillary. It started oh. a number of years ago, and we are Has very that been famous. Years? It's been years, <laughs> and we are very famous among about two hundred people around the world. Um, uh, hilarious. Yes, let's. We're going to try to uh, uh, manufacture some of the uh, energy and uh, uh, joie de joie de cinema that uh, you and I uh, mm. engage in uh, at the end of uh, when we watch movies together. Uh, low so many uh, moons ago. Um, uh, Hillary. Sadly, yes. sadly, uh, I am not drinking. 
drinking beer while we're doing this, which I feel like we normally are doing when we're talking about movies. Um, ordinarily, sad. ordinarily, sad. there is a beer involved, and that usually probably light loosens loosens the mood. I so, I also feel like the walking, which we often do after the movie, <laughs> also helps yeah. to energize our conversation. And now we're yeah. very sedentary and sober, so we'll see how this goes. I'm sure it'll be awesome and the, one of the greatest uh, podcasts ever recorded. Of all time, yeah. Of all time, I agree. In the annal, uh, in the annals of podcasts. In the annals. Uh, so, I mean, this is this is uh, Born in Flames is one of my favorite movies. You just turned like, me on uh, to this movie. Straight up favorite movies of all time, and I, um, uh, you know, and I went from just like having seen it. I saw it um, when I was in college, so I don't know in probably like less than 10 years after it came out. Um, and I don't really remember the circumstances, but I mm -hmm. remember watching it. Um, and I, I have watched it a bunch of times since then, and I've now taught it a bunch of times, and I have also lectured on it. Um, so it's kind of in my life, it's made its way from being something that I was just like a fan of, and I could never find anyone else who had ever <laughs> seen, mm -hmm. <laughs> into like being a thing that I teach along with the other feminist science fiction that I teach. And I actually also teach it... I did this last year and I'm going to do it again this year in this big um, foundations of interpretive theory lecture class that I teach for MA students. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it is, despite despite it having become a thing that I teach, it remains like very alive to me. And I also feel like a lot of my relationship to it is just this like kind of loving enthusiasm because it's just like so awesome. It is as, you know, <clears throat> like it is a, <clears throat> it is a film that rewards repeat viewing and really deep thought because there's a tremendous amount going on in it, which I think for a casual viewer or someone who isn't really, you know, very in tune with, you know, the possibilities of cinema um, are very easy to skip over because it is an amateur film. It is an independent film. And those mm -hmm. are not, those are like features, not bugs. Those are yeah, really... Yeah. In integral to the significance, the meaning, the importance of the work, um, and to its like for it, both its formal po properties and its politics. And so, I think for a casual viewer, just turning this on, it's very it would probably be very easy to dismiss it as like you know again amateurish or unpolished or confusing or uh, uh, amateurish in a bad way. It's amateurish in all the good ways, in all the ways that we want amateurism to be. We need more amateurs, right? More people who do things because they love them and are, and feel like uh, an internal compulsion to, to, to do them. And this is certainly um, an artwork um, that, that falls into that category, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the aesthetic of the film is really like, um, so she made it in, in New York, um, mm -hmm. in the early 1980s over a bunch of years. Like it took her a bunch of years to like, finish it. Like five um, years, I think. Five years. Yeah. Um, it's made, um, sh she used, uh, a lot of, there's a really great article, um, about, um, that paid nice attention to the making of it in a journal called Blindfield. Have you read this? I don't know. You may, you sent me an article about it a while ago, but I don't know if that's, that's the right one. I can't remember the author. I can't remember the author's name, but you know, like, um, much credit to her for like making just a really, um, 
I'm looking. Oh, Joanna Isaacson was the author. Anyway, she had there was she writes a bit in there about the process of making the film. Some stuff that I didn't know, like Borden did it in these very like collaborative and improvised mm -hmm. ways. So mm -hmm. you can tell that the film, like a lot of it, is just like kind of you know I guess like shot on the fly, um, mm -hmm. like in using situations that came up. Um, uh, but also like, um, and most of the people in the film are not actors. Some of them are actors, but most of them are not actors. Um, and like the script, um, came out of like collaborative discussions that they had. So the process of making the film is this very like kind of deep, um, you know, feminist process, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the other thing is like the, the aesthetic of the film, um, I think that people who go into it, often a response people have is like, well, I thought it was going to be a science fiction film, but it doesn't right. look like a science fiction right. film. And that's, I think, something we probably want to talk about. But like the aesthetic of the film is, I would say, punk in like the kind of like mm -hmm. broad sense. So, you know, she's making it at the same time as like sort of like no wave is happening in New York. Um uh, and the kind of like the energy um, and the like shitty looking aesthetics of that kind of like, um, you know, just after punk or kind of late outgrowth of punk era um, very much kind of like drives the film. Um, mm -hmm. The film is very like it's like a little messy looking in certain mm -hmm. kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also for all of for all. And, and it has a like. um its energy is very like improvised feeling, but for all of that, I think um, it's extremely deliberate. Like it's making right. like, you know, I think the choices, um, the choices in the film for how everything looks and for the feel and the way it like, you know, cuts from scene to scene, like, yep. I think all of that is like very, very deliberately done too. So it's like both like, um, it's both like uh, expansive and and quite crafted. I think at the same mm -hmm. time, I think crafted is a perfect word for it. Um, mm -hmm. Deliberate, intricate, um, messy. Wo it's it's really woven in a very quote unquote organic way. I I, I just watched an interview with her um, just before we were recording, where she talks about you know there was no script. Um, for this, that she really did invent it as she went along. She said um, in this one interview, she said, you know, with a script, the, the, basically she said, with a script, uh, you know, the film sort of exists before it exists. But for this, it didn't exist before it existed. So that like it's the process of making it was, the, was literally the process of, of making it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great. And, That's great. And that... Mm -hmm. uh, it really evolved out of a seed of an idea. Um, and, uh, and with all its messiness, it's the intricacy with which it is made, the delicate craftsmanship of building it. Um, and the way, especially as you mentioned, the way that it cuts from scene to scene are um, extraordinarily interesting as uh, kind of cinematic experiments, especially in contradiction to Hollywood uh, and like Hollywood craftsmanship, which, which uh, I think um, uh, we should, we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Uh, I th because as a kind of independent avant-garde film, it is in really interesting and intimate dialogue with Hollywood mm -hmm. as an institution, whether it knows it or not. Um, because Borden also talks about in that interview that I mentioned in other interviews, she did not go to film school. 
She did not know how to make a movie when she started making this. She was really inventing the craft for herself. And yet, despite that, um, from the outside, we I think we can definitely point to ways in which this is uh, extremely antagonistic, or at least agonistic, um, with Hollywood and Hollywood-like uh, sensibilities, um, and the Hollywood definition of science fiction, which you and I have talked a lot about yeah. Um, yeah. On, yeah. in this show as well. Um, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say about the science fiction aspect, um, one thing to mention to our um, habitual listeners is that <laughs> This is um, th- this is a great film to pair with Kim Stanley Robinson's novels, I think, because this is a film that I think really takes seriously the concept of science fiction as the realism of our time. There mm-hmm. are no la- laser beams. There are no spaceships. There are no aliens. There is none of that. Maybe you could talk about what you see as the science fictional aspects of this film. Although maybe what we should do is introduce what the film, the the broad narrative of the film, because all we've been talking about so far is form and what it looks like and what it's like to watch it. Yeah, But yeah. we haven't talked about the yeah. story at all. So I think that the, um, but it, it it is good to think, I mean, I agree with you. I, th- I think that this is a movie that is really um like let's just say it is doing science fictional work. Um, sure. I take that aspect of it really seriously, um, and and I I think that that's partly why we wanted to talk about it um, in this our podcast about yes. utopian science fiction. <laughs> um, uh, and I think it's a utopian film, or it's a film that has a utopianism in it. But um, I mean, one way to think about so the scene of the movie um, is we're in we're in New York city um that that looks um you know actually just like new york city did in the early 1980s um and uh uh after a quote-unquote successful socialist revolution or what we might think has probably been like a kind of democratic socialist revolution has Mm -hmm. taken place um and uh it it turns out so like a little bit i mean um uh, I do feel like you could think um, that part of the point of this movie is like, I mean, if we, to talk about it anachronistically, is like, well, what if Bernie Sanders had won? Right. Um, and then it turned out that like um, the sort of um, compromises that are inherent in the kind of project of democratic socialism um, mean that actually a great deal will be left in place um, mm-hmm. after such a quote-unquote revolution that actually needs to change, and that the burden of what is left in place, of the sameness of what is not revolutionary, will fall um, as it has, it will continue to fall as it always has most heavily um, on the uh, shoulders of people who identify as women um, people who are queer and people who are black and brown. Um, right. And so the the movie is basically about like, okay, here we're in a period in which there's been this kind of declaration of, um, you know, a the, the world, I believe the world's first peaceful, entirely mm-hmm. peaceful socialist revolution right. has taken place. Um, and we begin to see, um, at the start of the film, we see the sort of first inklings um, that there are many people living in this world, um, and everybody who we spend time with in this 
all of the sort of major characters we spend time with in this film are women. There are some mm-hmm. men, um, but this is a this is a woman's revolution mm-hmm. or a like woman identified revolution. Um, well, and well, we well. begin at the, the revolution that the women are trying to enact against the social democratic yes, regime. Yes, yes, sorry, is sorry. a woman's revolution. Yeah, yes, because that's so we begin because it's revolution right. within the revolution within the ostensibly revolutionary regime. That is what is the topic of the film, not to mansplain the right. film to you. I'm sorry. I apologize. Yes, thank Please you. No, 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 it's true. That was, I was not being clear, but that is true. <laughs> we begin to get the, we begin to get the inklings that um, something is happening in the city, um, that there is some kind of, and we actually don't know the extent of the organizing that's going on or how much it's organizing versus how much it's kind of like uh, quote-unquote spontaneous response to a set of ongoing structural conditions, but that basically like um, working class um, women, particularly women of color, particularly queer women all over the city are, and presumably all over the country, but we're just really focused, um, uh, initially we're just focused in in, uh, New York, are, are beginning to experience that, in fact, like whatever the goods of the revolution were supposed to be, they are not, in fact, being distributed to them. In fact, they're having trouble getting jobs. They still remain kind of like second in line or third in line or being told to wait for various kinds of things. And, you know, significantly, um, it seems like um, sexual violence is something that this so-called revolution and this democratic socialist government really has not wanted to um, deal with or confront and remain something that like haunts the lives of women. Um, Mm -hmm. So we kind of like begin, we begin not as a viewer, like you don't know at the beginning, like exactly what it is you're seeing, but there's some sense that like um, some kind of organizational force uh, is, is beginning to manifest itself um, as a way of pushing back on or transforming or opening up a new fight um, with this supposedly changed, transformed um, socialist government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the film, uh, just as a, as kind of a like a broad narrative outline, um, follows essentially the radicalization of several women and groups of women. So. The primary character, I think you could say, the main protagonist, although in true realist fashion, there are sort of multiple um, protagonists, and we cut very freely back and forth and amongst uh, these different groups. But the main sort of uh, person that we follow, that the film follows, is Adelaide Norris. Um, Play, I forget who, what the actress's name is. Um, Uh, I have it written down somewhere. Okay. But go ahead. Okay. I'll just um, say it when I find out. She is really kind of the revolutionary leader. I mean, we could think of her almost as like a black Malcolm X. I mean, a black Malcolm X. A lesbian Malcolm X. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a concept. Um, you know, a lesbian Malcolm X in a certain way. Um, she is a construction worker. Uh, in a, in a, one of the first scenes of the film, we are, are first exposed to her through really an intelligence briefing. Uh, two men um, give it, doing an intelligence briefing to each other about her and her origins. They refer to her as always a jock, um, expose her sort of as a, as a homosexual, and um, are trying to figure out what this uh, women's army, it's called the women's army, 
Or at least uh, they it, think it's called the Women's Army. They think it's called the Women's Army. They're calling it the Women's Army. And it's unclear, too, yeah, whether this group adopts that title because it's given to them or they sort of use it on them, you know, for themselves. Because what's interesting is that as these intelligence, this intelligence briefing goes on, they describe it as a, a radical separatist vigilante group. But then it cuts immediately to Adelaide just in a kitchen um, talking about keeping a community center open and doing just basic uh, kitchen table organizing, trying to get women to support um, the continuation of a community organization so that they can have a daycare for their kids. Um, so it's not like radical separatist vigilante group at all. It's really just like grassroots organizing, at least at the beginning of the film. Um, yeah, and I think, uh, so Adelaide, the actress is named Jean Satterfield. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she was ever in anything else. I was not I don't think able she... to find out much about her. Yes. Um, I So I went to a, a screening of this at Northwestern a few years ago uh, where Lizzie Borden was present. And one of the problems that she had with um, making the film, as I recall, was that Gene Satterfield suddenly didn't want to be in the movie anymore. You know, like this as a movie that came together over a process of over a period of like five years, you really rely on your actors to like show up and... <laughs> give free time to give their free time to it. And she kind of, I, there was some problems with her, whether it was kind of mental health problems or she like literally like left the country for a while or some kind of, I don't remember what specifically it was, but there was a, uh, a major problem with kind of making, getting her to continue working uh, on the film. And indeed, as you watch the film, you can see, that she looks radically different at different moments in the film. And that that's partly attributable to her character, uh, Adelaide yeah. Norris changing, but it's also uh, because that actress herself was going through some uh, pretty major life things that prevented her from, from being consistently, from consistently working in it. Um, but anyway, so uh, Adelaide, as the film goes on, she becomes increasingly radical and, uh, uh, comes to the conclusion that they must actually take up arms against the the regime, uh, at least if nothing else, to defend themselves. And in the process of that, she also uh, it comes in conflict with other feminist organizations, um, sort of within the revolution, um, uh, with with sort of tendentious kind of or or um, tense relationships with within it. So there's. Um, the editorial board of the Socialist Youth Review, which is all white, bougie women. Um, right, who, who are yeah. not part of the Women's Army. I mean, they're part of the sort of like the power structure of this, you know, so-called socialist government. Yes, they are. The editorial board like serves at the whims of the party. Um, but they and they're not initially part of the Women's Army, but eventually I was watching it very closely last night. So eventually they do become much more radicalized and oh they do yes exactly yeah, they yeah. they they take a major turn but yes. i i think that initially they are part right. of the sort of party line that that actually really has the same things to say about the women's army as yeah. the sort of um uh, you know, guys from the uh, whatever, like version of the FBI or the CIA yeah. who are spying mm -hmm. on them. Yeah, they actually there's a uh, they're on like this talk sh talk show where they talk they speak very condescendingly about the women's <laughs> army. It's incredibly like accurate for like uh, in terms of thinking about like I don't know Joanne Reed or something like that. Like uh, what what that kind of uh, 
yeah, critique is like. Well, and, and also, I mean, just like if you have spent any time doing like um, organizing work or with political organizations of whatever oppositional <laughs> sort mm-hmm. um, uh, or, you know, movement work of whatever kind, I think this movie is extremely sharp um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and weirdly like, I mean, so I've, you know, I've showed this movie to a lot of um, students in the last five years and like my students who uh like it the most are all the like highly politicized people who like mm-hmm. spend a lot of time doing activism and mm-hmm. doing movement building stuff um and they inevitably say oh my god you know like it's still exactly like this mm-hmm. <laughs> which is uh which is kind of I, whatever i think it's kind of amazing but the the movie is very sharp about how um, certain kinds of divisions are reinforced by like uh, race and class positions um, and the ways in which like, you know, the official language of certain movements um, denigrates or or usually really just like kind of condescendingly dismisses the demands yeah. of um, other parts of the movement, which that and that is really kind of like central to what the movie is about. Yeah. And like overcoming those divisions and demonstrating kind of a, a material need that supersedes this kind of like ideological purity that the that the socialist like uh, the officialdom, socialist officialdom uh, imposes from from above, like like they 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 uh, initially they the socialist youth revolt re, uh, review editorial board dismisses the kind of um the movement building of the women's army as like spontaneous mm-hmm, um not exactly. well thought out um selfish um, selfish because you know uh you're what you're saying is we need more rights for women but actually what the proper socialist um, responses is that we need r- more rights for everybody. And uh, if you're a- agitating as a woman or as a black or as a black woman or as a black lesbian, then what you're really doing is you're being selfish. Um, and it's incredible. You just want to throttle these uh, bad socialists. Um, yeah. But, but oh my God, you can just go on Twitter and you can see these absolutely same right yeah. conversations happening now that like, what you know, on both sides, both the sides of of the people who, um, mm-hmm. you know, privilege some like ill thought out idea about what identity politics is and dismiss the quote unquote class analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side, the people who privilege a so-called materialist analysis and dismiss what they refer to as identity politics. And like this, this film is deeply about how those things are not, in fact, sep- separable from mm. each other, you know, Um uh, which which makes it like I just think you know that's another thing that makes it like very relevant to watch right now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> I think too the thing and the thing that um, what this film is so smart about and so brilliant about in ways that probably do make it difficult for people who are just used to Hollywood movies to follow is how central <clears throat> the media is to the story that it unfolds and yet it's never the topic of the film, right? So Mm, mm -hmm, in addition mm -hmm. to the Socialist Youth Review editorial board, in addition to Adelaide Norris, you also have two radio stations, pirate feminist radio stations, um, Radio Ragazza and Phoenix Radio. Um, And they are throughout the film they're they're led by uh radio regatta is led by isabel who is an amazing uh 
Her name is Adele. Um, uh, I wrote it down. The the actress who who plays her is Adele something something she's with an amazing, a B. Like, punk rock uh, punk singer. And yeah, then, she's like part of yeah. She's in like a no wave band, I yeah. think. Yeah. And the leader of Phoenix Radio is Honey, um, a black woman. And um, they both take sort of very different sort of uh, tones and approaches to their pirate radio station, but they are also key media um, centers that the various kind of groups try to, uh, especially Adele, uh, Adelaide, tries to try to um, incorporate into their movement to like signal boost them essentially. Um, and they become like, uh, really important hubs of this new uh, revolutionary um, movement um, as well. Yeah, and I think a really um, that so the the film is really shot through with media, both official and unofficial media right. channels. Um, the official ones mostly coming through television, right. um, although. At the same time, we know, right as you were saying, like right from the very beginning of the film, that this this like you know supposedly socialist government also has like a pretty extensive um, like if not, it doesn't feel like totally competent, but nonetheless quite extensive spy network, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we see we see a lot of surveillance footage. Mm -hmm. um, we see a lot of uh, hilarious um, like uh, TV news broadcast. <laughs> Yes. Um, and then we also throughout the film hear the sound of the two pirate radio stations, um, which um, kind of, uh, you know, like moves between being like, um, like diegetic sound and like soundtrack sound, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. that the song, the songs move in and out. Um, so the, so there's a way in which like we get a kind of division in the film between um, these kind of um, centralizing media like TV, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, these sort of like diffuse media like radio that spread everywhere that are mm -hmm. just part of the sound of living and being in the city. And this also, you know, is another way of thinking about the kind of opposition between this like centralized party state, which to be clear is like um, not represented as evil, um, right, but right. represented as a centralized party state that um, uh, in those qualities has is also unable to um, sort of uh, contend with or think about or actually change in relation to um, the demands and complexities and the real like political urgencies of daily life, including like the sort of political urgencies of daily life experience produced by overlapping things like race and gender and sexuality. Right. right. Um, and in opposition to that, we have these like two radio stations, which are both like, um, uh, uh, um, uh, like have or we get these like you know very like kind of like appealing and pleasurable like snippets of their broadcasts and we also have the sense of them as like diffused throughout the city and being part of this like um, this kind of production of um, maybe not so much organization mm -hmm. um, as like kind of forms of like communal life mm -hmm. um, communal and really like deep communal sharing um, um, 
across like a really wide array of um, working class and poor women in the city. Yeah, what's so interesting is about the TV um, broadcasts, especially at the very beginning, like the film opens with a kind of um, television documentary that's like celebrating the 10 year anniversary of the social democratic revolution. And so it's this kind of like cheesy, like very cheesy, super cheesy, super cheesy documentary (laughs) with a cheesy um, soundtrack. And what you see, the images that you see in this documentary are, they don't look that different. Like life has not really changed. Like they are panning and tracking shots of women at work smiling they're at their you know rows and rows of desks offices just doing paperwork working at a grocery store um working at a construction site where we first find adelaide norris um but the form that this documentary takes and the form of the newscasts the form that the newscasts take are all extremely similar to what Mm -hmm. um you know, they are not radically different. They do not look like they belong in a science fiction film. Um, you know, there no one's wearing like uh, crazy like tur- uh, turtlenecks or something like that, right? Or uh, they don't have <laughs> silver jumpsuits or something. Um, so that immediately like kind of mm. like, you know, what it what was the revolution um, that happened? Because it's definitely not a, a style revolution at all. Like it, it hasn't, it has not like... Um, reached the the point of like radically upending the culture in a way where you know people are really you know communicating all that differently than what we already have um uh the radio uh as you say is like this decentralized thing these are sort of unlicensed pirate radio uh broadcasts and they and the music that we hear out of them is all sort of reggae and staple sisters and Jimi hendrix and um very specific uh, music choices are being are being made there uh, and in contrast again to the TV which like the newscasters on TV are all just wearing blazers and they have like nice haircuts and they speak like in um, soothing tones to the audience about like uh, you know violent crime and things like that yeah yeah I mean so I think that the um, some things that we could just even now so like it it is a hard it's a hard film to summarize because it it actually like although a bunch of stuff happens in it mm-hmm. it really is in many ways not a plot driven movie right um it's it's kind of like a movie that gives you a situation and then expands on the situation mm-hmm. um you know and the the trajectory of the movie really is toward um um, something like an increasing level of um, coordination amongst mm-hmm. these diverse groups of women who have decided that in order that like um, uh, in order to actually thrive, in order to not just still be living um, in what is essentially the way that they were living before this democratic socialist revolution, that in order to do that, they're going to have to produce something of a revolution. They themselves are going to have to produce like an actual revolution. Mm -hmm. Um, And they continue to disagree with one another about that, right? A central point of disagreement is around the use of violence. or in even particular, the, use, in, the use of direct action itself outside of uh, violence, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Um, uh, um, and uh, although we see continually, we what, what we see, ra- so we see debate, but what we also see always at the same time 
are groups of women coming together, right? Um, uh, both um, coming together and having like intense political conversations and conversations about strategy and tactics and having arguments. Um, at some points, we see them um, like learning to do martial arts together. Mm -hmm. We see them learning to shoot together. Um, but we also see women coming together um, in at like parties, um, in mm -hmm. like intimate erotic scenes. Um, so uh, we're, we're given this kind of, um, I th this is like a really amazing quality of the movie. I think we are given all of these images um, and ways to think about and imagine how it is that like um, political community, like something like a sense of shared communal life um, mm -hmm. and willingness to engage in shared communal struggle, that that emerges from all over the place. And it, mm -hmm. it like emerges in intimacy and it emerges in argument. Um, it comes out of like agreeing with people and disagreeing with people. It comes out of doing like really everyday stuff, like, you know, fighting to get like, as you were saying, like, a daycare center built. It comes out of other kinds of everyday stuff, like being out at the picket line. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so um, the film, the film moves us toward having an increased sense that there really is this presence here that maybe we can name as the women's army. Um, that really is becoming a revolutionary force, and it's becoming a revolutionary force um, through all of these very everyday seeming interactions, as well as through um, like a ferocious commitment on the part of the women who um, want to change the world. Um, and like, so, you know, there's a way in which like, because the film is interested in tracking, in not giving us a picture of like, okay, we're going to have a revolution because like one day there was like a really successful meeting <laughs> and right, a bunch of right. leaders were like, let's organize in this way. Right. Um, instead, we yeah. see like the process, the, what, what takes us toward like the revolutionary moment, um, which includes includes acts of violence, um, but also just includes all of this stuff that would normally like not only go under the radar of like the history books and go under the radar of like a TV program, um, but also like, you know, essentially goes under the radar of all of these like spy agencies that are everywhere that just like keep commenting mm. with like, you know, a sort of stunned wonder that all of these women seem to be <laughs> lesbians. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, so, the, so there's a way in which the, I think of the film as being, um, you know, a lot of what the film is trying to capture is is something like um, what might organization look like if it doesn't look like leaders and party, um, mm -hmm. and might that not be a way of um, might that not be a, a, a form of of like revolutionary organization that actually like has a lot more to do with the ways in which the experiences of being um, um, oppressed, not only as a worker, as we see very clearly that these women are oppressed as workers, right? right. I mean, we see that like, you know, essentially like exploitation continues, right? And the forms of separation that capital imposes still seem to be there, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, not only exploited as workers, but as women, um, as queer people, as black people, um, in, in, a, in a field like that, 
um, like what does organization look like? And the, the film kind of posits that it comes in and, and through daily life, but that doesn't make it any less powerful or, or actually like, um, actually in some ways it seems that they become a revolutionary force in a way that the, this democratic socialist government that claims that it led its people through a peaceful revolution, like has no idea what a revolution is. Right. Right. And there, I think that's really an important thing to emphasize is the the dailiness, the everydayness that you see, especially in the montage sequences of the yes, film. Yeah. Um, which which really drives home to my mind the kind of um, science fiction as realist um, uh, mode that the film shares with uh, with Robinson's books. Right, like that there are just kind of chapters where sort of chapters in his books or montage sequences in this film where sort of quote unquote nothing happens where you just yeah. see yeah. people shopping people walking in the street um people uh you know putting a condom on um, <laughs> for instance um and also like but but really importantly the the scenes of organizing just happen in like a kitchen um, yeah, with a, a few right. people sitting around talking, like not arguing, like smoking cigarettes and having like a a debate, and that and and that feels like that feels both very realistic and very science fictional, especially at this moment. I mean, both because we're not allowed to go into people's <laughs> houses anymore, because <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, we'll yeah, infect them with yeah. a deadly disease, but also because. Um, in my mind, like our culture and our pol our politics have become so increasingly authoritarian and top down that you will vote for this person because this is the only hope you have of avoiding this other worse fate and that we know what is best for you. And um, we're not going to actually listen or even engage or, or you know, even bother to sit down with uh, people who are even trying to do sort of this kind of grassroots uh, work of, of actually listening and having dialogue with people. Um, that felt like really just amazing to see um, kind of, you know, how the sausage gets made, so to speak, in terms of like... <laughs> how like a community can organize itself and articulate its articulate itself articulate its desires and its fears and its problems um th th that's that alone is worth i think really watching this film and really paying attention to those moments because they're also like again it's not really scripted these are improvised moments these are women yeah, yeah. who seem to be having genuine conversations and going back to something that you alluded to is that um this isn't this is this is the women's army and their revolution isn't something that just happens because one person gives some kind of great speech like Adelaide Norris is not an exceptionally charismatic figure she is not like a Malcolm X right she does not give big speeches she mumbles she approaches people at grocery stores she um it, it you know, doesn't have those features of a like a major like even a even a Bernie Sanders in terms of her like public presence. I would say, um, and the people who like catalyze around her are people who are not giving big speeches in big parks or something like that. There are people having one-on-one -on -one conversations with each other and trying to kind of unify a community around each other on the personal level, which does feel yeah. very revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, I think that the um uh, so, so many things in what you're just saying, like strike me. I mean, one thing is that I, th I think that the film is, um, I mean, and I, I don't know 
whether this is like because like this was you know stuff that like Lizzie Borden had read or thought about I I suspect it has a lot to do with actually the sort of the process of making the film which allowed for all of these you know situations in which the you know actors in the film were just talking to each other mm-hmm. um but the the film I think we can say is is very deeply steeped in um uh, I think the socialist feminism of the 1970s yes. um, and, and in, in particular of um, the black socialist feminism of the 1970s, which, you know, we, it, the Combahee River Collective mm-hmm. statement mm-hmm. is kind of the most famous statement of and, and, you know, one of the most important, you know, pieces of political writing ever, ever done. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, what, of course, um, you know, uh, uh, the feminist movement writ large um, grappled with in the 70s was like, so what it, What did it mean if you thought that like the personal was the political? Right. Um, and this is something that I think in our own moment um, in official feminism, in liberal feminism, which I have been thinking about with a, a lot of anger in the last few days because uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died and the sort of you know, whatever, the, like, hand-wringing over, you know, oh, we might lose Roe v. Wade, which Mm -hmm. uh, just, like, um, you know, whatever. It's like, I get that, but it's also, like, um, uh, first of all, you know, uh, liberal feminism uh, has decided conveniently not to pay any attention to the fact that, like, abortion is and has been since the 1980s de facto illegal for, like, um, most poor women and probably most working-class women, too, Mm -hmm. um, and disproportionately... uh, uh, you know, impossible for women of color as well, right? And, and you know, and secondly, that, like, fucking Roe v. Wade is, like, you know, that we venerate this thing that is, like, mm-hmm. the most fucking minimal protection for, yeah. you know, the kind of people who happen to have, you know, uteruses, right? right? I mean, like, anyway, whatever. That's aside. Liberal feminism sucks. But, but you know, like, I think that the... Um, this film takes really seriously the way in which... Um, the the idea that the personal is the political is actually like quite a complicated and difficult mm-hmm. idea right because like you know indeed we don't live the person the personal in any immediate way as the political right like that mm-hmm. is not an experience um you know if the political is about like um uh you know uh communal struggle toward making a future Right. Like, in fact, we don't experience our personal lives in that way at all. And most of the time we experience the personal as like sets of limitations. Right. And um, mm. the things that, you know, hold us back or um, uh, make others respond to us in mm. negative ways. Um, so I think that, that that phrase so, you know, whatever, like bastardized, reviled in many different contexts, like is actually really important. This film kind of like shows why, like, mm-hmm. um like the montage sequences. So the montage sequences are just like, are, are great, you know? Um, and they kind of make, they make you think like, Oh, if I want to think about like revolutionary struggle and revolutionary change, like, let's say you want to think about that. Um, I, I must, I have to think about work, right. And what is Mm -hmm. the place of work? Um, you know, like kind of in daily life and those montage sequences of work, um, partly, Uh, partly function because you like don't know from like um uh you know 
moment to moment, whether you're looking at people who are like doing work or whether you're looking at people who are like doing the stuff that you do to like maintain a life or reproduce a life, mm -hmm. right? Like um, productive labor and reproductive labor get um, brought together in them uh, in a way that I think is part of a project the film has. It's part of a suggestion, I think, this is my like read, that in this so-called uh, post-revolutionary moment where the film takes place, um, in fact, work of all things, uh, this socialist government has not changed what work right. is. <laughs> right. You know, and like the question is not like, um, should we should we treat uh, like sex work like that shot of like putting on the condom? Mm -hmm. Should we do we think that that is like a shot that represents sex work because it's in a montage of all of these things that are work, right? Mm -hmm. Or do we think that that is a moment that represents like um, a different kind of intimacy, something personal, right? Um, and I think part of the thing that the film wants to do is like um, just put this kind of pressure on the idea that like oh we we can resolve our problem to work um just through like better distribution of stuff which mm -hmm. is kind of what this government has done right the government mm -hmm. describes itself as as running essentially like a new version of the welfare state mm -hmm. i mean and just like wait for it that they call workfare yep. um uh, amazing right so the movie is 83 right yep. so like there are some things that are actually i think quite prescient about yes. like this kind of cusp moment that it's in right like you know already into reaganism uh very much like thinking through the 70s as as a moment of um you know great like political potential that gets like completely suppressed right, right. um and seeing in many ways like the emergent like so-called neoliberal compromises that are going to come like in the in the next decade right yeah. um but you know so here we get the we get these images of work um and i think that the film asks us to think is this work is it not work and in that motion which is an estranging motion right this is part of how I think it's science fictional mm -hmm. in that motion, we have to begin to think, wait, why do we, what are these distinctions anyway? Right. Um, like, uh, you know, isn't there a way in which we should be able to have relations to others that are not mediated either by the exchange of a wage, which continues in this world. Right. Um, or by like the unwaged work of like care work, household work, so much reproductive labor. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so I, you know, yes. Go ahead. There's a lot there, and I, uh, one thing I would, um, it made made me think of was that in the so, as a feminist film with um, almost exclusively women in the speaking parts and and in the named character parts, right? There's like mm -hmm. two mm. named male characters i think and one is the mayor and one is the president of the united states i'm pretty <laughs> sure um and we st there the presence of men is still there and it's extremely interesting the way that this film uh frames men mostly there's okay so they're they're seen in maybe i would say th three different guises one is as newscasters so uh, predominantly the news is is transmitted by uh, uh, male newscasters. There is a female talk show called the Bell Gale Show, which is like <laughs> so, first so of all, hilarious. Perfect, perfect name. So funny. 
it's like a Charlie Rose <laughs> for women, essentially, where the Socialist Youth Review go on and they, um, you know, denounce the women's army. And later, this man, this man gives an amazing. <laughs> He's reading. like Freudian, uh, Freudian account. He, well, he says that <laughs> amazing Freudian account that like within women, there's a primary. Uh, masochism that acts out in a sadistically toward men is just like amazing beautiful and he keeps and is it him or is it um bell gale who keeps calling it masochism masochism (laughs) i think he says masochism he says masochism oh my my god God. oh it's amazing a lot of this movie is very funny although we're really not i feel like capturing the funny parts of it it is really funny. I mean, another really funny part is um, just mm. very subtle. And you probably, but like Mayor Zabrinsky is giving a speech at the very beginning, like to commemorate the 10th anniversary of this revolution. It's like, he looks identical to any politician in the late seventies, early eighties. Adelaide is watching it with a woman. We find out is named uh, Zella. Um, I forget the character's last name, but she's played by a famous uh, civil rights attorney. Um, and mm-hmm. the mayor who says, defend, by the way, who defended Valerie Solanas. Oh my God. Did you know that? That's so, I did not know that. Flor- That's so cool. Florence, it's, her name is, in Florence the film Kennedy. is Zella Wiley, and Zella she's Wiley. played by Florence Kennedy, who right. um, is fucking, I mean, she's worth, I mean, she's worth watching the movie for just she's to get amazing. to see her. Um, and she, so she did a lot of um, like, I mean, she just, she like took on these like kind of explicitly feminist cases. Yes. Uh-huh. And she defended Valerie Solanas in court. That's fucking cool. And, but she, yeah. uh, like the, the mayor says, uh, ours has been the greatest revolution of the greatest cultural revolution of all time through which we have wed democracy with its respect for freedom and individualism and its abhorrence of all forms of communism and fascism coupled with the moral and ethical humanism. <laughs> of American socialism. And it just it just cuts to Zella Wiley, Flo Kennedy, Dude. just rolling her eyes. And Ad- yes. Adelaide is like laughing, basically, because it's just such bullshit. Um, so those are so those are two types of the men. But then another and so well, there's one type of the men, the mediated men. Then there's men on the street who are like harassing women and like actively like raping them and catcalling them. But then there are the men who that we see mediated through the mediators, meaning the men who are rioting. Um, there are men like having riots because for various reasons, but it's this kind of very counter-revolutionary, very patriarchal force that is uh, counter-revolutionary because it's also the, the socialist revolution has also not produced meaningful work through the workfare program. The, or at least the right. you know the work that the men are given who can't get jobs doing construction or whatever they rebel against this kind of workfare program because it's 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 not meaningful so and of course they react through kind of a profoundly you know anti-feminist like misogynistic um uh ways um but but that that reaction too is presented in a way i mean first of all it's exclusively presented through uh, media images that we get like real media footage of cops beating protesters like really brutally yeah. um in broad daylight not like uh, in the under, under the um under the cloud of night that we have today in portland um but it's also presented in this way that it's like you know there there ought to be a socialist response to this there ought to be a left-wing response to this because you cannot just give people 
meaningless work to do and expect them to do it without, you know, reacting in, in, in a, in a, against that. Right. Um, right. So yeah, that it, it's, that part is really interesting. And it's really subtle. Uh, it, it's another way yes, in which this yes. film really rewards rewatching because it's given in a newscast and any of these newscasts, these television newscasts have to be really, um, uh, watched very attentively to understand what it is they're actually saying uh, and how they're obfuscating the real meaning uh, the, and, and the real sort of motivations of the actions they're reporting on. Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, that's such a good point because there is actually like, um, there is a whole, I think on first viewing, this this is not necessarily apparent, although you could just, you know, be attuned to it and you probably would notice. But the film actually does a lot of world building. Yes. Um, you know, Incredible you actually amount. get, you, you learn way more about how this government functions um, than, than you might think at first. And there is one other, we do see men in one other scene which is um at one of the scenes of the picket outside the um uh outside the gates of a mm, construction right, site right, right um and one of the people who we know from the women's army scenes um uh is part of the picket there mm. um and she is very butch but seems to be woman identified uh just seems to identify as a woman mm-hmm. um uh, and she, uh, oh, sort of like do Uh-oh. join with her. We get some sympathetic response, right? Yes. Um, between like her and the other men who are at the picket. But, but yeah, I think a real core of this is this, um, you know, we have a sense, I mean, and this is partly why like not, um, uh, like not doing work. I mean, I think, you know, like probably it was not within like, um, you know, the, the budget of the film <laughs> to do mm-hmm. a whole lot of like, Oh, let's make it seem fu- quote futuristic. Right. Um, but I, I think actually that is a really brilliant choice on the mm-hmm. part of the film. And um, because one of the things it seems to be suggesting and, or at least allows us to, to kind of think about is like, if this is a future, like it's a near future, we know, but it's mm-hmm. it's a future. And if we take that seriously, and then we think, well, like, well, why does the future look like either just like today mm-hmm. or um, like the recent past, depending on how we're framing our own position, right? Um, well, one thing we might think is because like a big part of the lie that this form of government um, is telling itself um, is that it is still possible to have like um, uh, a sort of productivity and growth right Mm -hmm. um and and instead i think we see you know we have a sense here that like the film is registering that capital has hit something of a dead end right and like and the um and 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 also i think we registered that the political imagination has hit a dead end given that all that all that it seems to be doing are kind of like you right. know, at best, like weak repetitions of like New Deal kinds of policies, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and in a in a, in an extremely important, you know, and revealing moment after the women's army has actually really, you know, kind of started like fucking shit up in the city right. and like making their presence apparent. Uh, we get, I believe, it's the the um, we hear the president and again i think we're watching with with zella wiley right and adelaide Mm, Um, well actually yeah go ahead but no you're wrong (laughs) 
it's not okay well, Adam, uh, so we're, go ahead. we're watching with we're watching with somebody um or maybe oh we're watching we watch the speech with a bunch of different people but yeah, anyway like yeah, one yeah. of the things the president says is uh you know like oh and so we've we've decided that our new initiative is going to be wages for housework right. <laughs> which you know like you know is like um by which he seems to like literally mean oh guess what women we're going to solve your discontent by paying you for your reproductive uh labor by the labor that you do like you mm -hmm. know that is not compensated um which of course i feel like i'd say this like every other day is a misunderstanding of what the wages for housework movement was actually doing which was of course actually an anti-work movement right mm -hmm. a like um a way of like exposing how it is that that capital um functions rather than a demand for wages but that becomes like this is the only kind of solution this is the limit of the political imagination that this particular government has and it's probably the limit of its imagination um because uh it's actually it's wedded to not changing certain things including mm -hmm. not changing um like a world in which we like go to work and get a wage right right um, right which is obviously like at the core of what must be changed right um, the point where President Metzger uh, is speaking of that wages for housework program, at that point, um, so Adelaide has already been killed. So right. what happens in the film narratively is that Adelaide becomes increasingly radicalized and convinced that um, violence must be, you know, part of the the mix uh it, it you know that reform is not enough that revolution is necessary that just talking about issues is not going to you know we're not going to legislate ourselves out of this problem she um allies herself with a radical uh women's revolution that was successful in like western sahara in like mm -hmm. morocco or something and she goes to western sahara to learn from them and to make connections so mm -hmm. that they can like Im like basically bring in guns um, and yeah. make the revolution a, f a full revolution. And she, uh, the FBI is onto her. The, the other men that we see, by the way, are these like nameless FBI guys who do the kind of, um, you know, incompetent in intelligence gathering uh, that is so like also hilarious scene. Hilarious. But um, to just like their organization, the Women's Army's organization is composed of a series of circles uh, yeah, <laughs> so so good. And one of those guys you see, isn't it one of them who you see a shot of his desk and he has a mug that says "Mom" on it yes. on his desk? It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. So good. So she comes. She comes back from Western Sahara and she's picked up at the airport. She's thrown in jail yeah. and then mm. she dies in jail under mysterious circumstances. Um, the, her yes. death is like covered up. The the party itself. There's a lot of like questions about her death because it's it's meant to it's presented as a as a suicide it seems very right, clear, they, right. clearly that it was not a suicide the socialist youth review um prints a uh a, an article questioning the official narrative the editorial board of the socialist youth review which includes uh catherine bigelow i mean playing an actress <laughs> not the real catherine bigelow but she's playing playing the part um is uh, removed from their editorial position by the man from the party. This is another, like, one of the other roles for men is, like, he comes in and, you know, talks down to the Socialist Youth Review uh, editorial board and, like, removes them from their post. This radicalizes these women um, who had been, like, these kind of bougie centrist uh, liberal socialists, essentially. 
Um, and then um, around that point, uh, when as the women's army is becoming more militant, as they are like getting guns, this is when the Oval Office address for, by the right. president, he right. says, we're going to do wages for housework. Wages and, for housework. And at that moment, it's almost as if, uh, you know, the moment that he says wages for housework, I don't know if it's exactly the moment, but the women's army breaks into the CBS news uh, building and, you know, at gunpoint makes Eric Bogosian. Uh, <laughs> In a fantastic cameo. <laughs> it's his first film role. This his first his, film role. This was his debut. Um, makes him play mm. a pre-taped uh, speech by Zella Wiley. Um, talking yep. about Adelaide's death. So they hijack the the means of media distribution um, at exactly the moment that Mitzker seems to, that the president, you know, seems to maybe be making a concession to the left or trying to, at any way, to diffuse this militancy. So in a very subtle way, I feel like the film is suggesting that, you know, that the, mili- that the increasing militancy of the Women's Liberation Army, essentially, uh, is you know is a kind of necessary thing in terms of forcing new like reforms even if they're bad reforms right um i think it's a kind of like yeah th- fun to think, 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 thing to think about yeah yeah i mean i think it it is def i think we are definitely meant to see it as a res- as a response but it right. is also like you know exact it's a response that makes no sense right, right? i mean it's a response if, that's directed one, toward the people who already are against the women's army to give them more ammunition for like oh why aren't they happy with this right like uh they should, right, exactly. they should stop and, well, being so immature and one of the ways that we know that it makes no sense is that, like, the idea, I mean, if you just, like, if you try for a moment to take seriously a state-sponsored wages for housework scheme, obviously, like, that's a scheme that depends on the idea that there is a breadwinner who leaves the house, right, right and gets wages that way, mm-hmm. and there's somebody who stays home and does housework, right, that there is this, like, particular kind of, like, division. And, like, mm-hmm. the film is, like, deeply into showing you that, like, uh, um, you know, uh, the these di- these divisions right are like fictional or they have little to do with the way mm. in which like life actually functions and partly we just know that because like we've been spending a lot of time with all of these women who are clearly like constantly like working very hard to like keep shit together and like right. you know keep things going uh, and there's not any of them who's like at home like cleaning her apartment her apartment or like making you know meals for some wage earner who goes out right like yeah it's really the um the the um this kind of central moment in the film in which we get this like it's a really kind of awful moment where we Mm -hmm. see adelaide um dead in the jail cell Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and you know like there there is no doubt that she has been assassinated and it's mm-hmm. like i would say also like um you know a, a, a moment that has probably become like in our in our own like current scene like even more resonant right mm-hmm. um a, you know a black woman killed in jail yeah. right um the lie that she um uh that she killed herself um 
and it does it does mark this kind of turning point right um and one of and i mean and one of the things that i think is quite interesting about that cuz i i think the film you know when the um when we first see the the women who are um the social the socialist youth newspaper editors and they're not really youths by the way no, I mean, this is like, like kind of part of the, part of the joke <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> they're clearly grad students yeah um but but like you know one of the things while they are still like in their in their sincere and indeed like white bourgeois way like repeating the party line um you know like they're very committed to the idea that um you know they lived through the revolution and it was a hard time but it was a peaceful revolution right um and and that thus because they know that that happened and it's part of like the party line that that happened like you know things must be entirely different now right um and somehow a revolution Wait. happened without hang on anything oh yeah we have the robot voice sorry no you don't need to apologize I'm sorry, I'm sorry, robot voice. No, don't apologize to the robot voice. <laughs> uh, don't don't give an inch to our uh, robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> these people don't deserve your... These people aren't people. They don't deserve your sympathy. They're not... They're oh. part of non-natural nature. Oh, Matt, Matt, come on. Skynet, Skynet, <laughs> Hillary. Okay, you're back, you're back. Um, back. Uh, you know, um, I think the part of what the film, like, for for all that the, the film is, I think, uh, it has a lot, there's a lot of sort of joyousness in it. There's a, yeah. a very strong sense of the joyousness of coming together, coming into a sense of being, of being truly collective, of mm -hmm. acting together. Solidarity. Um, solidarity, um, of, of mutual aid, of... Um, of true support of like support across difference. I mean, and also the film is funny and it is, it's full of like great music. It has a great soundtrack. Um, you know, there's a, there, there is this real joy in it at the same time. I, I, I think it sort of like calls, uh, you know, it, it calls bullshit on the idea that there could be a revolution without loss. Right. Right. Without, um, and you know, the sort of, uh, speaking of a great that, soundtrack, yeah, it's the ice cream truck. It's making me hungry. Uh, it's bringing us joy. Uh, it's San Luis Freeze. Um, uh, but but you know, like part part of what Adelaide's loss does is is to mark, I think, and this you know, and this is something I feel like, man, we talked about a lot when we were talking about the Mars books. Yeah. Like, is to mark that, like, um, you know, uh, in revolution. There is going to be loss, yeah. Um, and it's like the women's army, in in their actually quite painful and fraught choice to um, uh, to act violent, to take up violence against the state, like you know, they are able to acknowledge that in a way that this kind of fiction of we had a peaceful revolution and now everything's fine. Sorry if it seems exactly the same, <laughs> right. you know. Um, in a way that 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 fiction just like can't acknowledge loss. It, it imagines that we could just, you know, like um, uh, change and still have everything. Um, right. And I think that this, I don't know, this is something that um, uh, 
like to me, I think that this is a really important thing to be thinking about now, like that, you know, as we as we try to attune our political imaginaries to the situation that we're in, like, um, you know, we want everything, but but that's not going to happen without loss. Right? right. Change doesn't happen without loss. And I think that that is, you know, uh, the sort of. The, com- the comfort and the idea that you could have radical change and we'll just still get everything, you know, right. we'll still have everything. Nothing will be different, um, you know, whatever. It's something we have to give up on. And something I think the film really, like, asks you to think about in a kind of painful way. Well, I think what's also really interesting about Adelaide's death is that there is a hint that she, that there's a kind of a martyrdom around her. But in fact, it's, she doesn't become like a an icon after death. There is a kind of question about her you know how she died but really um it's it, it's a more of a galvanizing event that um makes the especially like the women in the socialist youth review but also like honey and isabel right. isabel's already hyper radicalized but uh she, she's <laughs> and also like, just hyper <laughs> she's awesome like that character is so cool um and the music that she like her her musical performance is just sort of incredible. But um, you know, it galvanizes them. It gives them an example of like, like no, they they they're playing for keeps. Like this is not they they take this really se- like the other side takes this really seriously uh, enough to kill this person. Um, and uh, and also to if if not kill her, then like the party is actively covering up her death and like covering up an exp- uh, an uh, an investigation into her death. Um, so rather than a like becoming some kind of like uh, martyr, she really becomes kind of an example uh, and also um, a way to kind of yeah, like I say, like sort of galvanize um, support of this uh, of this alternate of this new strategy essentially. Um, yeah. And then meanwhile, yeah, exactly. what's also kind of funny about it, it's more ironic than funny, is like the way that the um, sort of the FBI, whatever you want to call them. They're they're like hyper radicalizing the women before the women are radicalized. So they're yes. automatically <clears throat> anticipating, even like summoning into being because they're like surveilling them and they understand they're actually like spying on them, breaking into their headquarters, burning down their radio stations. They're actually already calling them radicals and vigilantes and guerrillas before the women even take these tacks. And in fact, in one moment when they find out that Adelaide is going to Africa to get weapons or that she's merely that she's going to Africa, the voiceover of the intelligence officers, and they're mostly presented in voiceover, says, good, you know. That's great because then uh, they're, you know, just like the FBI does, this is their tactic. Once one person sort of goes a little bit more radical, it opens up the entire organization for much deeper surveillance and much greater like suspicion and targeting. Um, so that they like, you know, that the, the forces of reaction and the forces of the state um, welcome this kind of uh, uh, radicalization so that they can clamp down even harder. Um, right, right. Right. Except that they consistently. Yeah. I mean, that's exact. That's exactly right. Except that they are so certain, like, yeah. you know, th- their whole thing is like, but we we know who the leaders are. Yeah. Right? And they are sure. And I think that's partly why, you know, like, um, oh, the, 
you know, like they're pleased to have, um, you know, Adelaide make this like more explicit alliance with what's a sort of like, you know, a kind of maybe Fanonian third worldist right, movement. Yeah. I mean, at which point we learn that it seems like, oh, actually revolutions are maybe happening all over the place. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they're pleased because then it gives them, if she's bringing weapons into the country, you know, they can show this connection. It gives them grounds to arrest her. Um, at, and, you know, and then also to like, uh, you know, ultimately to murder her. But they consistently think that what they're going to do is like, um, they, they've just like, they've mistaken the women's army for something that it's not over and over again, right? It's not only that they anticipate like forms of response, like before actually the women's army gets there. Mm -hmm. It's also that they're certain that like, you know, if we cut the head off, like then yeah. like, well, then this thing will like disappear, right? Mm -hmm. And in that they just like, they have no, you know, their response I mean, like what the women learn, I think at that, you know, with what happens to Adelaide is that like, it's time to stop, um, uh, you know, they can't underestimate what like the state, uh, the state's monopoly on violence, um, the threat that that is to them, right? The threat mm -hmm. that that is to any revolutionary movement has to be taken um, absolutely seriously. Um but they also like are so they themselves are um, diffuse and they're everywhere and they're not, you know, the kind of organization and they've never been like Adelaide is important and mm -hmm. you, everybody feels the loss and mourns her um, and some of them become more radical in the wake of that. Mm -hmm. um, but she's not the leader. There is no there is no mm -hmm. leader. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that gets like sort of uh, just like. Uh, magnificently and hilariously um, uh, symbolized not just by the two pirate radio stations coming together as one <laughs> pirate mm -hmm. radio station, but after the uh, after their uh, they get their uh, broadcast centers get burned down, uh, they uh, restart in the back of two stolen U-Haul trucks right. in the greatest scene of the movie. <laughs> yeah. They break into the U-Haul facility and they steal the trucks. Um, it is a great... I like the scene where the women, the bicycles, I mean, the, the fleet of bicycles... The vigilante that, scene, yeah. The vigilante scene where they interrupt this uh, sexual assault happening in broad daylight on the street. Um, that's I don't know. I think that's probably the most iconic scene of the film because you have this like bi this this fleet of vigilante bi bicyc female bicyclists. Uh, uh, and it's probably the one you know, day when Lizzie Borden was able to like hire a, a truck or something to <laughs> drive alongside the, the bicycle. So it has some of the highest production value probably, but, um, uh, but yeah, they, they restart the, the radio in the back of these, um, in the back of these trucks. And um, then uh, let's see the other thing Da, 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 da. And then, and their analysis and their sort of critique of the government-imposed socialism or ostensible socialism that is eliminating f women from politics becomes even more pointed and sort of amazing, especially by uh, Isabel. Um, Honey has an amazing speech as well about you know being ready, getting ready, staying ready, um, and the the f culmination of the film is. I mean, pretty breathtaking. Um, yeah. Because what happens is, spoiler alert, right? 
they uh, now kind of Phoenix Regatza Radio fully radicalized along with the former editorial board members of the Socialist Youth Review. They uh, build a bomb and they take it to the World Trade Center and they blow up the transmission antenna on the top of the World Trade Center. Yep. Um, which is I, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. The first time I think that um, you and I screened this for our classes together. The first right, time, this is yeah. the first time I taught the film. Um, and uh, I had not watched it for a few years. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I'm going to guess that I had not watched it since before September 11th. And <laughs> and I felt like I remembered the film in great detail. And actually, I really did remember the film in great detail. Um, but I had never thought very much about, like, that ending part. Yeah. I mean, I thought about the ending as, like, you know, why do, they cho- why do they choose to, like, you know, why do they choose to do that? Like, what happens at the end? Um, but I remember us, like, screening, screening the film um, and, like, literally hearing students in the room when they saw the World Trade Centers go like, <gasps> it's like, oh, shit, we really should have, uh, like, trigger warning this. <laughs> I, I think, like, before I had watched, I, you had recommended the film to me, so I had never seen it before. So when we watched, when we screened it for the, in the class, it was probably the second or third time I had seen it. Um. I don't remember remembering or forgetting whether the World Trade Center, you know, at least it didn't blow up the whole building. It wasn't. You oh, know, no, exactly. Uh, you know, the bombs that blow up transmission antenna can't melt steel beams. We all know yep. this. Uh, absolutely not. As the building the freight- does not fall down. No, it's not a controlled <laughs> explosion. There was no free fall. <laughs> there wasn't. Building seven is still up, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, Exactly. Um, but it is just kind of incredible to see that um, in 1983, um, mm-hmm. especially because, I mean, for lots of reasons, you know, like it is a it is a great kind of climactic ending and like thinking about the something I mentioned earlier, the kind of dialogue it has with Hollywood. Um, it's it's very resonant with a film that comes out a few years later called they live mm-hmm. uh which yeah, ends yeah. with a fantastic explosion on top of a building blowing up a transmission antenna that disrupts the signal that makes everybody see that they've been like you know uh, surrounded by aliens this whole time or demons or whatever um but it's also just a great kind of like uh you know hollywood style ending that's done in a very clever way obviously they didn't put a bomb on the top of the world trade center uh building they they did some kind of like post-production special effects manipulation. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's a kind of great nod to, um, uh, the types of events that you might more expect to see if you were to told, be told this is a, this is a movie about like a science, like a science fiction film about revolution. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it and it kind of you know it awakens that you don't you don't know what's going to happen afterwards. Right. So it ends if, there. If it, yeah, it ends there exactly. And so if if the um, if it comes to seem at some point in the movie like you have some doubt that um, this so called socialist revolution that the is you know like has produced the form of government um, that's in power. 
um, if you come to have some doubt that that revolution was indeed a revolution at all, like the end of the film with like the act of violence and you don't know what it tends toward. I mean, one thing you do know is it, that is not going to be it, right? right? I mean, that's one, well, right? Even if even if what's that what that's doing is like interrupting media transmission in some large scale way, you know, like either that is going to be the end of things because like the women's army is completely crushed by the state, mm -hmm. um, or if it's the beginning of a revolutionary moment, like it's not the only act that is going to happen, right? Well, what's um, really amazing about the moment is that the the broadcast that it disrupts, which is not like I don't believe it's calculated to disrupt. A, any specific broadcast but what's being broadcast at the time is like a news opinion guy delivering a oh, yeah, yeah. statement by the mm. management of the news station basically saying have we gone too far in the socialist revolution there is all yeah. this abuse of mm. social programs we're trapped in bureaucracy the government's too big it's almost a nod to like a welfare qu queen ideology yep absolutely over socialization um and that the the there's a kind of rather than a workfare state now we just have this welfare state and well we know we can't have a you know we know the state can't be responsible for the welfare of its citizens that's just unsocialistic right um uh, because workers are so important um uh and work is so you know important um so that's the broadcast that it that it disrupts so already there is this um uh regression um and reaction that right. is becoming starting to be baked in by these media institutions and by the state that with the explode with this new you know step in uh, in the women's army. I mean, now they really are terrorists. Now it's like, now it's truly like a, uh, a violent, you know, a violent step. Um, we know that that can't be the end of it. Right. Um, and it, along this, along these lines, like several points throughout the film, and I texted you this, I was watching it last night. Like, I was just like, this is the American battle for Algiers or battle mm -hmm. of Algiers because Obviously, nothing like the Battle of Algiers ever really happened in America, at least not in the 20th century. Um, but as far as like science fiction as the realism of our times goes, um, Battle of Algiers, it's really difficult to imagine a more sort of realistic film than that. Um, uh, and much of what it shows is not just the violence that um, that is required, that was required in the Algerian revolution but also like the necessary preparation for that violence and yeah, the kind yeah. of networks involved of people talking to each other and also the scenes of brutalization that drove the people to those extreme measures and so so much of what you're presented with in Born in Flames is <clears> a very <throat> documentary very very verite style presentation yeah. yep. of the forms of just kind of everyday social repression and personal repression and sexual re and gender repression that pervade American society, even in a science fictional, imagined science fictional future in which a socialist democratic revol quote unquote revolution, war for liberation they talk about has been enacted. Um, yeah. And so it presents a kind of like cinematic, you know, fiction uh, or science fictional reality in which 
those kinds of things are extremely imaginable. Um, not unlike, you know, the kinds of science fictions that Kim Stanley Robinson writes. Like these are not like, they don't require crazy leaps in technology or in the technology of human self-organization, right? They are like extremely imaginable um, outcomes of from current um, events and current conditions and current ways that people organize themselves and, and relate to each other um, that are, you know, certainly within the realm of possibility if people choose to take on those, um, embark on those, you know, uh, down, go down those roads. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I really agree with that. I, there's, um, Sarah Ahmed has a really nice, like part of an essay, um, in her book, living a feminist life. She writes about, uh, born in flames. Um, and one of the things she says about it, I mean, she's just like somebody who's, uh, she's extremely good at, at, uh, at, ca at capturing capturing things, but one of the things she says about the film um, is uh, that it's. She says like it's uncanny. This is a I'm whatever. I'm not reading this quote. I'm just going from memory. But she says something like it's uncanny to watch a movie and see people um, who feel and look like me, like the people that I know. Um, right. And she's partly sort of calling out to um, you know the the films like really deep commitment to to representing um uh you know queer life um and the life of women of color right i mean that's part of what you know and, and these kind of entanglements but she's also she's also calling out to that thing and I, I think this just resonates with what you were saying the way in which you know the film does not it gives us a future that looks like the present mm -hmm. um and in there i think you know, that is one of the primary places where it does this kind of, you know, like estranging work is that it asks us to like see ourselves, right? Like mm -hmm. see our present, like see the way in which like, um, you know, uh, ordinary life, like everyday life um, uh, gets held into particular kinds of shapes and what mm. it would take to like change those things. And mm. I think the the kind of like, and particularly it asks us to think about that um, in, in relation to, to uh, you know, to queer life, um, to precarious life of mm. various kinds. Right. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, because I think that then, so then we think like, what what if the future is the same as, as today, right? right. Um, and, and that, I think, interrupts this idea that the future will be, could be different without us making it different, right? right? And right, that's, right. and that is exactly that sort of like, um, um, and in that, yeah, exactly. I think it, you know, that to me speaks very much of like, um, you know, I'm just thinking like, uh, you know, the sort of, um, the kind of passivity of the way that we understand, like, our relation to, like, politics. I mean, I'm making a big generalization yeah. here, but, you know, no, or right. um, that, that, like, so what we got to do is we got to vote, right? Yeah, um, right? You know, and then we'll get the thing that will be less bad than the thing that we have, though it will still be bad. Mm -hmm. And then what we're going to do is, or even in some ways, like, the kind of, you know, 
you know, like the comforts of what like, you know, Bernie offered, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, um, but we could without actually changing much at all, like have something that would be better. And it would be better because it would restore something that we had in the past, which would be like the kinds of like fairer relations, uh, especially around work um, that obtained in like a prior historical moment. Mm -hmm. And we could add into that because now we know that like there are all these complicated things about like race and gender and ethnicity and sexuality. We could add those things into that. And, you know, anyway, I mean, which is not to say that like, you know, obviously I um, think things could be better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but the thing is that these, the kinds of questions that the film is interested in, and I think the kinds of questions that like we are interested in about like, um, uh, you know, what would liberation be? Like, we can only think about that if we can get a grip on, like, how it is that we're living now. Right. And we can only, like, and that grip requires us to be estranged from how we're living now in some ways. Um, right. And then, like, you know, the idea that, like, it's going to get better without us, like, doing something and actually doing something, like, really significant, which is going to involve, like, struggle and involve loss and not just be, like hey, you know, we had an entirely peaceful revolution. Right. Like, right. I mean, that's the, there I think is that kind of, that's that's a place where for me, like this film in its in extremely different mode, you know, does a kind of thing and puts you into a kind of mental space and also space of like enjoyment, like affective space too, mm -hmm. that, that is actually quite similar to like the kind of thing that Stan's books do too, mm -hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a revolution just by convincing everybody to listen to reason. It was great. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly. So cool. Um, yeah, this is a quite pleasurable film to watch too. It is really because also <clears throat> it's um, it is difficult to watch. I mean, like you know, again, part of the relationship to Hollywood that I see in this movie is its antagonistic. Um, you know, again, Lizzie Borden didn't go to film school. She doesn't know how to make a movie. So this is the, she's been to the movies before. So she's doing, you know, what she can to make a movie. And in doing so, because she's completely free from any kind of, I mean, anything. She's free from certainly like funding structures. She didn't have to apply. Mm -hmm. She didn't apply for grants to make this movie or she didn't have to like please investors to make this movie. Um, so just by very, the very nature of the, of the, of the production process, uh, its form is very different from a Hollywood film, which makes it antagonistic to Hollywood style. Hollywood style is all about hyperlegibility. This film is not hyperlegible. I mean, it is in many important ways, but also, again, it not only rewards repeat viewing, I think it requires repeat viewing to really understand kind of what's going on. The rhythms of the film are really different. Like Adelaide dies somewhere about halfway through the film. This is not a like yeah. a not this is not a nod to Psycho. This is like um, the organic nature of the way that the story unfolded itself. Right? Um, there are you know it's filled filled with non actors. Um, you know varying uh, quality of sound uh, and audio recording. Um, it's a difficult film to watch in that it's a challenging film to watch. It will keep you on your toes, and it. But but uh, that difficulty is extremely uh, rewarding in terms of like both like pleasurably and politically. I would say like it gives you a kind of form of political 
uh, pleasure. It, along those lines, I wanted to mention, I was kind of looking at the Wikipedia, and there's a section on the Wikipedia entry about the film's reception. And um, it, uh, as you can <clears throat> imagine, it got extremely uh, mixed reviews. Um, but Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote, um, quote, only those who already share Miss Borden's ideas are apt to find her film persuasive. <laughs> exactly. Which is amazing. A perfect New York Times, you know, response to this film. Because of course, a film like this has to be persuasive. Right? And it, you know, it is an agitprop film in a certain way, but um it can't simply be pleasurable to the people who in fact already share her ideas, right? Like it can't just be um a is that a cat? Yeah, Louise is purring extremely loudly right now. I mean, speaking of pleasure, that's very adorable. Exactly. um, You know, the film can't just be a film that uh, people who have left-wing politics and who engage in these kinds of ideas, like your students who responded so strongly to the film, it can't just be for them to see that their lives are kind of validated by having art made about them. This type of film has to be persuasive. A, a film like Rocky or Rambo or any of the <laughs> exactly. kind of Hollywood films that are coming mm, out, mm-hmm. does Maslin like, uh, you know, say, well, you know, Rambo didn't really uh, persuade me to be I'm not persuaded. I'm not persuaded <laughs> by this, right? It's just such a like a stupid way to engage in film criticism. And I don't know Janet Maslin's, uh, you know, overall, her overall like kind of like critical theory or anything like that, if she mm. has one. But it just seems like a perfect kind of response to a film specifically like this, that it must be, you know, I was, as a, as a dyed-in-the-wool capitalist, I was not persuaded to become a socialist. Yes, yes. Based on watching uh, Born in Flames one time, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think there are two iterations of this, but... Um, is like we see Honey in what is either her apartment or maybe her girlfriend's mm-hmm. apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Honey is like sitting, who I just is so marvelous. I just, yeah. I love her. Um, and she's like sitting in the window, like the open window, maybe over a fire escape or something. Mm-hmm. And her friend or girlfriend or whoever the other, or, you know, sister, who knows who the other woman is. Um, they're like drinking wine and they're, they're arguing and they're mm-hmm. having the, they're like, um, uh, and the other woman gets off some great, like, annoyed lines yeah. about the yeah. women's army. Yeah. Um, but the scene is, um, there are many scenes in the movie that I think are like that, where we get these very, like, um, you know, it, uh, it, I don't know what the right words are, but it's like, it's very just like, the shot is very closely framed around the two of mm-hmm. them. It's like a very intimate view of them hanging out together and of a kind of conversation and of a moment, you know, like a maybe like late afternoon moment where you're just like, you know, whatever, like trying to relax and like have some wine and also like getting into a political conversation and like both enjoying being with another person and like kind of annoyed by them and not able to agree. And that like, um, you know, for me, like one of the great pleasures of the movie is that it 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 takes those like small scale and and intimate and like just really fleeting, like really ephemeral kinds of scenes of of conversation mm-hmm. so seriously. Yeah. Um. And also, it just like just like not at all 
incidentally, like those conversations are happening among people who like in general do not look like people who are in movies, like Mm -hmm. even still Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. or talk like people who are in movies, or talk like the kind of people who have political power, uh, or or talk like the people who like, I don't know, go to like um, socialist organizations and like talk according (laughs) to Robert's Rules of Order or whatever it might be. They're not in the DSA. They're not in the DSA. It's wrong. They're like, you know, they're like having the, they're, you know, they're, and this is the kind of like, um, and that, that to me, like, you know, like that characterizes the, the film to me is just, and, you know, and again, I think that this is something that like we, um, we have talked about a lot in talking about Stan's writing too, that it, you know, in a very different way, a very different mode. Right. But like it, it also just like takes so seriously, um, like, um, you know, the little moments of everyday life as, as being formative. Right. And as being like, um, um, part, part of where the stuff that forms, solidarity and forms the like kinds of like you know durable connections that allow for um you know uh, collective action yeah. right that they they come in these moments um and that yeah anyway yeah i think that what's you know i think that yeah what you're saying is so right on and, and it could you know it's it, i think it would be easy to make an argument that that scene is kind of paradigmatic of the film as a whole in in terms of its um, extremely simple, um, but careful, um, formal qualities, like you were saying, the close framing, um, the, you know, naturalistic setting and lighting and also the the unscripted quality of it, right? These are not words that were written by Aaron Sorkin to prove how smart the writer is so that you, the viewer can have a spontaneous, like a cathartic moment of like, yeah, they, that person really showed that other person about the things that I personally believe in, which happened to be <laughs> the exact same things that Aaron Sorkin <laughs> believes in and writes so eloquently, right? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. This is a completely organic mm-hmm. conversation between two people who do not have all the answers, who do not have like hardly any answers, actually. They just have questions and they want to, and they're talking to each other in a very raw, real way. And to present that as a kind of important scene, it, I mean, it, nothing hinges on nothing hinges on that scene. Nothing hinges on it, right? It's right. not a pivotal <laughs> scene. It's right. just a moment of everyday life, right? Um, but to present that and to present it, in it's enti- like not it's an entirety. It's a, it's a fragment of that of of a moment, you know. Like uh, they were there before the shot started. They're going to be there after the shot ends. Um, their conversation, you know, preceded it. It will continue on after. Um, so in, in, in a certain sense, it's arbitrary, but those arbitrary moments are still part of the political conversation. They're still part of solidarity. They're still part of organization and human living together. And all of the, you know, all of that has to do with, um, just, you know, making the attempt, I guess, you know, um, doing it even though you don't know what the outcome it will be. You don't have all the answers. You didn't write an essay about this. You haven't done the reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, no one is keeping the minutes of this meeting, but um, it's kind of an essential part to, uh, of, of this kind of uh, hope for the future that, you know, ought to be acknowledged as really existing. Like not all the work happens in Congress or at Davos or at the DSA, a lot of the work happens just 
Yeah, at 4.30 in the afternoon over a glass of wine, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. At some point we hear, um, you know, we... Uh, the idea that like, I think this maybe is in one of the talk show scenes, but that like the women's army, their demands about (laughs) like, you know, gender and sexual um, uh, liberty are, are, you know, that they're impatient, right. And immature, Mm -hmm. right. Those are the, those are the Mm -hmm, things, um, mm -hmm. which of course, you know, um, uh, uh, claims leveled uh, often at, at, um, feminist demands and mm-hmm. most particularly at black feminist demands, right? right? You know, like, uh, well, just wait, let's, your time will come. Yeah. And this is a, this is a movie about saying like, um, in, in, in part, like, um, how much like oppressed people, um, uh, alienated people are, live in relation to this kind of like large scale, um, uh, you know, injunction that mm-hmm. uh, we wait, you should mm-hmm. wait, wait, mm-hmm. just wait, right? Um, That's impossible and, right now. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. And I, and I think that that, you know, but but we'll get uh, we'll get to your thing, which is a second thing <laughs> later or whatever it is. And you know, this like part of what this movie asks you to think about is like, um, what does it look like to sort of like reclaim, like th- to decide you're not going to wait is also to like reclaim temporality, right? Yeah. And to reclaim like who mm. it is who owns the future, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the future here is not going to be owned. I mean, that's if we if we read the end of the film with some hope, it's not going to be owned by like you know the nightly news with its like graphics package at the beginning mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, like, so funny. um. You know, the, the, the future, you know, there has to be an active relationship to like saying actually the future's ours, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, we're not going to just wait. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that even the idea that we have to wait, like suggests, you know, how much we're in the grip of like, um, you know, these very large scale structures of power mm-hmm. that have to be battled as large scale structures of power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that Gail, that, uh, Bell Gale show clip is directly <laughs> precedes the whim, the honey talking with her partner about joining. Yeah, yeah, that's army. right, that's right. That's so it's right. like the it's the oh, bougiest the Bell Gale show. The Bell, it's amazing. Hi, friends. Oh, welcome to the Bell Gale show. <laughs> yeah, and so then the, the the editorial board member who, with the British accent, she says she just she decries the women's army and these new movements as a they have a gratuitous desire for excitement and romanticism and the and the idea of revolution but the means of revolution are denied to you because we already live in a structure which is prepared to give all that to these people and then Gail uh, Bell Gale says there's a certain amount of envy isn't there it's like <laughs> fuck you <laughs> yeah well, i got it you know and like I don't know. I mean, like little bits of that rhetoric surely came out in mm-hmm. like certain leftist tutting about mm-hmm. you know certain other leftists being like, it's just time to burn shit down right now. You right. know, well, yeah. really, you know, right. there's an impatience there, and if you just understand, yeah, right. Well, but Hillary, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but um, or if you've seen it anywhere, but. Um, Joe Biden actually has the most progressive platform in the history of America. Did you know that? <laughs> My mind is blown. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's electable if you vote for him. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, which is cool. Okay. Um, well, that was fun. Do we have anything That was more? awesome. You got anything else? Uh, no, but I hope people will watch this movie um, because it really... Uh, I don't know, maybe like, you know, uh, that was like a conversation that has made you feel like you don't have to watch the movie. But the movie is much <laughs> no. more, much more than Matt and I were able to capture. It It actually, I just, I, uh, I think it is like actually quite a pleasurable movie. Yeah. And, um, uh, and like one that also like doesn't, you know, like if you like science fiction, like, and you commit yourself to thinking like, I should think about how this is science fiction. I, yeah. I, I think, I think it is a movie that really like, uh, opens up a great deal. Um, uh, and also like, if that doesn't sell you on it, like the, uh, theme song, which is by, uh, Red Crayola is, um, just like one of the best songs ever recorded. Um, the theme song absolutely. is completely kick-ass and then uh, the woman who plays Isabel who's like in the punk who's been in a couple of like as you said no wave groups uh Ad Adele Bertai I think um she's also an incredible performer all I mean all the kind of I mean it, you should watch it simply as an antidote to all the shit that gets pumped out by Hollywood and like really you know um high budget everything being so high budget now and glossy this is just yeah. an incredibly refreshing film to watch that features like real people not wearing like makeup or like fancy costumes um making a movie together like it's extraordinarily um yeah it's just very nice to watch uh on that on that level as well um, yeah i it's mean on, like a the, real yeah. like a real it's a real political movie yeah. that yeah. like thinks really hard about what politics yes uh, are and what politics could be you mm -hmm. know in a really yeah in a way that yeah most especially most american movies really don't um really don't um uh it's on the criterion um app basically by the way so in case anybody has that it's already there um as well as battle of algiers by the way um also a great movie famously great movie <laughs> fucking really good movie amazing um, movie yeah and um bu 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 well i guess that's pretty much it um uh we might be back we'll be next back week. soon with something soon with something <laughs> um and if not uh, soon with something, then at least in a few weeks with uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's forthcoming novel, The Ministry for the Future, which, friends, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I have an advanced reader copy. I am devouring it. It is so fucking kick-ass. You're going <laughs> to... I'm not getting paid for this. You're going to love it. I'm uh, going to finish it uh, as soon as I get off this uh, recording with Hillary. Um and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to reading that with you um, next month. Yes, 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 absolutely. And then, and then we will leap back into something longer by Stan. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.